Boom. Awesome, guys. So I'm here with Brandon Cullen. I pronounced that correct, right? Yep. Awesome. Yep. Owner of Metabolic here in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where HQ is. And you just gave us a quick tour, but for anyone listening, not familiar with you or your model, just give us kind of a, a brief overview as to who you are. You know, you're, we were just talking about your hockey <laughs> experience and kind of everything that's kind of led up to the current day and time of you franchising these locations all over the place. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, that could be a lengthy uh, journey. <laughs> um, Metabolic itself or Metabolic Inc. Um, we pri- we specialize in strength bias interval training. So even though right now I guess the um, the high intensity interval scene is popular, um, we wouldn't even consider ourselves uh, always high intensity. Just well structured strength bias interval training. Um, getting here, yeah, was a was a long process. So I mean, went through the. <clears throat> went through the CrossFit world. I don't know. Should I just walk it back? Yeah, dude. Like go completely? for it. Yeah. Um, okay. The best way to start it, I guess, was you mentioned hockey. So I was fortunate enough to have a, a fairly successful amateur and minor professional career. I think I played uh, four years amateur and about five years um, professionally. Where are you from originally? Uh, Where's home? Home, St. Catharines, Ontario. Okay. So in between Niagara Falls and uh, Toronto. Got it. Is the best way to, to kind of put a landmark there. So, uh, yeah, I went after that whole uh, elusive uh, professional hockey player NHL dream uh, that a lot of Canadian kids do. And uh, I ended up having, a, unfortunately, a career-ending concussion um, in the same week that I signed my first NHL deal. So in my first exhibition game, had a career into concussion, which I didn't know at the time, um, and never played again. Um, so that summer, um, trying to make it back, uh, I was already training people. So this is kind of an interesting part of, I guess, my story is in the off season, so I wouldn't touch my bank account or paychecks. Um, I used to have teammates ask me, you know, like... <laughs> You're in, you know, I really want to be in the shape you're kind of in. Can you train me? So at 20, uh, in, in an off season, I was like, I probably should do this certification thing. And, yeah. and I did. And I started, I almost like worked backwards. I literally just started putting teammates and local players on my summer training program and started charging for it. Um, so long story short, when, and this is what I did in my off seasons between bartending and training people one-on-one, predominantly athletes. Um, it was easy when the doctor said, you know, we're never going to medically clear you to play again. To transition into fitness wasn't too, too hard. Sure. Um, I mean, <laughs> it didn't seem too, too hard. Let's say that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the last year um, here in Charlotte, I was under contract with the Charlotte Checkers, the local team here. And my business partner, um, he had a long career. Like, he was able to play overseas in Europe sometime. So he's a few years older than me. But long story short, I was under contract with the team, never going to play. So I had obligations to do a lot of the team things. Um, So we sat in the stands when he he had to have hernia surgery. Okay. Um, So we sat in the stands a lot. Hockey is such a brutal fucking sport. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my body is. I mean, look at me. I'm on crutches right now because I just had knee surgery to yeah. fix my meniscus from my hockey from back career in the day. 12 years ago. Um, but uh, I always respected the way um, Kirk played. He was a very, um, it was almost identical to me. So average skill set player, highly conditioned that I think allowed us to overachieve. So there was this instant kind of like mutual respect. So when we sat in the stands, you know, I was injured, I was done, and he was going through an injury. I, uh, we started talking about fitness philosophies and what we did and who we had been trained by and all this kind of stuff. And at one point, <laughs> I mentioned to him, I'm like, well, about two years ago, I was introduced to this CrossFit thing, and I think it may have a chance to blow up or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Why don't we look into this? Uh, so he knew he was retiring. Um, so we thought about opening a CrossFit here in Charlotte. 
So we did our, um, and I was getting certified during that season, you know, when they had like three certs a year. Sure. And this um, is like what, 2010, 2009? Uh, 2007 Seven, season. Okay. And I was introduced to it about 2005. Okay. Pretty much, I, I used to train at this uh, Muay Thai um, boxing gym in downtown Buffalo, like a really rough, rough gym. And at the end of every workout, this really knowledgeable trainer would put me through a finisher, which ended up being an AMRAP. Yeah. And that literally was, you know, how I was introduced to that workout of the day that was one page at the time, yeah. very basic website. And, you know, like almost everyone, you start doing your own research. Sure. So long story short, I had that massive printed out every CrossFit journal article for the last like two years at a binder. And I handed my partner this. I'm like, take a look at this stuff. I think it has a chance to be really cool. <laughs> and I mean, that's how our conversation started. So when the season ended, we're like, why don't we do some due diligence and uh, see what is around? So um, there was Andy's gym, CrossFit Charlotte, and then Ultimate CrossFit, Lance Breeden's yep. gym. And um, so we weren't sure if we were going to do this thing on our own. Kirk was still uh, pursuing firefighting okay. school, and I was training people and had a successful woman's boot camp. Um, and it was Lance that actually approached me, and he knew he knew of me, and, and he had a day job, like a legitimate day job, and he's like, can you help maybe me grow this business because I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, and... I think it's worth saying, like, it was a quite a different environment at that point, right? For Charlotte, you mean the industry in general for CrossFit? I think, um, well, all I knew was the industry in general, and all I had yeah. exposure to was these two gyms, right? And, but I think it's fair to say that your typical client base was ex-athletes, you had military people, you had... People with lifting backgrounds. Yeah, 42-year-old Sally wasn't showing up to lose an extra 20 pounds yet. Very different. It had yet to hit pop culture, yep. right? And our training staff at Ultimate was a staff of four. And it was me who just finished my career. You had a Army Ranger that scares me to this day. <laughs> you had a Navy SEAL. Uh, Donnie Forbes. Yo, Donnie. I love fucking Donnie. <laughs> yeah. That dude's a trip. And then you had um, Lance, who yeah. played high collegiate football. Yep. And that was our training staff of four. So between, like, Andy's gym and this gym, like, it was a, a an intense and it was a good yeah. environment. And with that being said, the level of stress, the program design, the intensity all made sense in the environment. It made sense in the environment. Sure. There's, there was nothing to question at that yep. point. Um, it was hardcore through and through. Yeah, yeah. And, and people had the backgrounds to support it, right? Sure. So if you had been Olympic weightlifting since you were 16, to go into a Fran or Grace, sure, you had the skills to do it, yep. you know? Um, so long story short, do you remember at that time, too, there was only like one affiliate owner per box? Correct. Which really hurt a lot of people, right? Sure. So we tried to open Ultimate CrossFit um, Ballantyne and HQ came down, no one owner per box. Yeah. Um, so long story short, Kirk and I ended up opening, um, CrossFit Ballantyne, um, and kind of the way you brand it as well, also known as S3 Endurance. Yes. So we went a hundred percent at that and we were firm, firm believers that if you're going to run a CrossFit program, you should stay true to the methodology. So we did. Um, so within the WGM kind of methodology, we kind of took that and then also prioritized days based on strength, speed, or stamina, yeah. which is uh, S3 endurance, right? Um, and then on the weekends, we started doing um, conditioning-based partner or team workouts. And that's when it all kind of started the wheels started turning. We were like, why are these less technical days driving in everyone that Correct. won't come in Monday through Friday? Yep. And, and I, and I want to say this out loud, and this is not, this story is a common story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is no. not my story. I've heard this a thousand yes. times. We might have just 
had it happen to us a little earlier. It's why every gym started with, you know, Saturday, 10.30 a.m. is your bring a friend day because it was our friendliest partner, <laughs> least CrossFit looking workout exactly. of the week. Exactly. So for a full year, um, Saturdays became like experimentation uh, land, right? And that led to, at some point, something called Fight Gone Mad, which eventually became Metabolic Inc. And yep. the funniest thing is the reason we used the Fight Gone Mad structure originally, uh, Fight Gone Bad, sorry, uh, the, B, the old BJ Penn workout. Yep. And um, we just used different exercises in this environment, uh, five rounds, one minute on yep. here, and did all this. And we were like, well, fuck it. If we're going to do something weird like this, Fight Gone Mad makes sense. We never realized it would end up costing us some money um, <laughs> to get away from that uh, later. But uh, we always had this name, Metabolic Inc., in our back pocket was the brand we wanted to become. Got it. So you um, started off as Fight Gone Mad. I remember that. Yeah. And then when did you rebrand, if you will, or kind of... So long story short, we ended up getting into, you know, a, a true like legal conversation with CrossFit. And we, even though we had a trademark in place, there was, an, there was a use in commerce argument. And at the end of the day, it ended up being, do you want to go to court? Sure. So no. Yep. Um, and we always loved the name Metabolic Inc. Um, better, but also too, you're, you're also poor at that time and don't want to pay for another trademark exactly, I and mean, yeah. repay rehab, have your windows redone. So like, is that true? Like young business, stupid business sure. owner kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so we sold S3 Endurance, um, CrossFit Valentine to a, uh, member that I think still owns still it to owns this it. day. Yeah, it's still in operation. Yeah. And they're, um, and we went with this full time and Yes, I mean, like it has evolved into something completely different that is now a very structured um, program that follows a 52-week calendar with three styles of intervals that we prioritize energy system training and we just use creative marketing language to take the science out of it. Sure. That's the easiest way to say it, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So for those of you guys, again, um, and if you're going to watch the video, I've got, you know, Nate's here and he's rocking out some video, but essentially I want you to picture around a 2,400 square foot room. And I was, when I'm opening up with a new gym, so I'll have gyms <clears> and um, actually one of the ones here. So uh, Opex Plaza Midwood, one of the owner's names, uh, Mason, great guy. And so build it, you know, on a, on a budget. I'm like, how are you going to do the equipment? And he goes, I'm going to Noah's Ark everything. Two of every fucking thing, right? <laughs> and I'm just going to Noah's Ark that shit. And then when I grow, I'll go to three of everything. I remember there was a company they were trying to do events called Moxie. Do you remember the Moxie box crawl? It was yeah. just, yeah. So Kobe I remember. is actually one of my closest yes. friends. Yeah, good dude. I always see him at a coffee shops. Yeah. I always see him. He's always at coffee shops <laughs> and in Lulu. He's a great dude. So I I, I remember coming through here because we had it at our gym when I was CrossFit South End. And then I remember coming in here because it was close. I was going to meet some people, but one of the bars around here afterwards. And I remember looking around and I'm like, I think he's got five of everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking even then I was like, God, that's so fucking smart. Mm -hmm. Like, it just makes sense. Do you like <clears> when you get into the business model, which I think a lot of the, the CrossFit affiliates or some of the micro gym owners, we think, well, I want to have people with 20 classes. I'm like, are you really going to get $20,000 of rowers? Does that really seem like the proper way to spend $20,000? Yeah. Um, versus spending $20,000 on uh, five rowers and five ski ergs and five, or whatever kind of way you want to break that up. And I, that, I remember coming here, that was my first time, and it looked a lot different. Obviously, the layout was a lot different sure. back then, but I remember first thinking, this is smart. I haven't even seen it in operation. I don't even know really, but I can instantly tell there is definitely some thought put behind this. Yeah, I mean, like, it's definitely a way to control your environment. Um, I think that year experimenting with the... Um, CrossFit model helped. Um, like I said, we started off as 15. Sure. So we always have been a five station based thing. Um, but it was, uh, we had three, I think it was, yeah. Is that how we did it? We had 15 people. So it was either a five, three or a three, five. I sure. can't even remember at this point, but yeah, it was cost effective. I don't know why we decided to do that, but I do know now it's a very easy way to scale your environment. A hundred thousand nice. percent. Yeah. I've got a, so our gym space is 7,000 square feet Ooh. and we, which is far, it's again, it was just the building we wanted. It was a larger gym space than what we had ideally planned for. 
but even then we run different class structures or just move class and stuff everything is very much so you're we have five bikes and then if five people are to your ring rows it's operational capacity that's i mean essentially that's what it is we were joking around earlier about the yoga model Ooh. there are yoga studios in charlotte that are 650 square feet and i would guarantee you i'm not privy to the information but the financials probably kick the shit out of most of the CrossFit gyms that are 8,000 square feet. Yeah. And, and again, it's looking at the ground and figuring out how much space does a human being need and how can I lay out equipment to do so. And I know one of the things you guys found out very early, which is something I'm huge on preaching on, barbells may be good for fitness to a degree based on your beliefs of a, the role of Olympic weightlifting for novice and, and the intensity thing, which I'm, I'm not a fan of, but you can't argue that they're shitty for business great for fitness shitty for business metrics oh yeah for sure um and i think the thing that most people just i wish people would say it out louder especially from the crossfit community is just who you're training correct like if, if i was training myself at 22 a contact power athlete you better you need the barbell correct. to survive to live yes. but if you now are training 25 to 45 year old high performers business professionals like you know that's a strong argument to make sure our business model for sure and even like you can get into some of the minds of some of the guys the the best names that you know uh creasy and just <clears throat> james fitzgerald all these guys i mean a dumbbells a unilateral tool is actually a lot harder than a barbell right yeah, yeah i would agree it's it's interesting we have this conversation now if we were to go back and um train ourselves sure in our 20s now that you've evolved what we're doing in here with the unilateral stuff, with big kettlebell movements and that, I would still like to have two days a week a very percentage base. And not so much, like, I mean, when we trained, it was like deadlifts, squats, box squats, push presses, and power cleans. Sure. You know, I would keep that in. But, I mean, with what we're doing now, um, I would question maybe even what I was doing at that point. You know, I would have those baseline lifts to keep, keep me strong and powerful, and I would complement with more kind of natural athleticism that could apply to a lot of different things. So talk to everyone who's listening. Talk to me, give me give, for people who are listening or, or buying into this, or at least what kind of movements would you mm-hmm. see in a metabolic-type workout? It's probably best to talk about the three intervals. Yeah, I think that would make sense. So we, the acronym MAD, metabolic, um, represents the three styles of intervals that we have. So a momentum-based interval, we would say that we prioritize athleticism and endurance. Okay, so all of them are two to one work to rest ratio. They perform more of a more like a cycle, if you were saying that, or a circuit, the way so, uh, someone may think of it. Um, but, the, but the goal of those workouts are to teach clients to manage their pace, um, where you would start off at 70% at the start of the workout, building toward a controlled sprint 90% by the end of it. So we, for that kind of movement selection, we would, you, you got to think of movements that you can actually increase that intensity by either adding weight or by the way you approach the movement. So power-based movements like uh, dumbbell snatches or squats that you could quickly up that weight in rounds three and four makes sense. Um, plyometri- plyometrics, agility, where you can increase speed or power. Um, but mainly you're controlling like the pace. There. Sure. So I would just say you see a lot of foot speed drills, you see a lot of jumping and landing, and then you'll see um, power-based movements where you can physically add weight to. Um, and then you have our anaerobic days, um, which would be our second style of intervals, and those would be you're probably most in line with a CrossFit program. So just with forced rest. So you have one-to-one work-to-rest ratios. Think like speed and power, uh, like big, powerful movements chased by cardiovascular sprints. So uh, dumbbell thruster into a suicide, followed up by a big heavy swing, finish on a row. Yep. So minimum creativity, yeah. <laughs> straight up, straight down, straight forward, just power, Yep. right? And then our final, the D, the durability. Um, and we kind of own this thought process, I would say, in the market. And we think that it's at least, sorry, in our market, like who we would compete with. So slower, um, more intentionally grueler 
grueling long distances. So three to one work to rest ratios. Um, time under tension is kind of what we promote. So think like Turkish get-up variations, heavy weighted carries, um, primal based kind of like crawling patterns like bear crawls and stuff. And then percentage based 80% uh, efforts just holding a grueling long pace. Got it. So when you take these three, and there's within the three styles of intervals, there's five to seven intervals within those two. So when you lay this over a calendar year, you know, it creates that structure that you need for results, but it also creates the variety which keeps the consumer happy. Correct. Yeah. And that was always the thing is, you know, I had a gym owner ask me, well, what's wrong with a, you know, in, you know, a grace, you know, a singular modality movement one time over and over. What is wrong with a couplet? And, you know, we went away probably in 2014. We stopped doing things like uh, the least amount of movement you'd ever see in a workout was three to four. Okay. And, and I mainly f because of uh, consumers, consumers would get now a crossfitter doesn't a crossfitter, someone who's in the depth of the juice and the Kool-Aid, yep. they see a single modality movement, whatever it may be. And that, that is, there is a task at hand to be tackled with that. Sally, who just got done doing a single task, sitting at Bank of America from nine to fucking five, comes in. Some moving around is good for them. They get bored easily. There is there is a level of ADD, I believe, that the average fitness consumer has. You know, you've seen, you know, Orange Theories tapped into that with their moving around stations. I mean, you remember Curves, the most the, the most successful fitness franchise at the time was Curves, and it was just the same equipment we had in Globo Gym, but just put in a fucking circle in a circuit. You know, essentially. <laughs> I'm a been a, I'm always been a big fan of variety in the you know and in CrossFit they would call this like a chipper right you yep. know anything more than that. Um, I've just always been a big fan of there is you know with just dumbbells and kettlebells alone you could train somebody for a year and probably not repeat the exact same workout over and over again, but creating the variety in the actual class allows people to always walk away with I love that one movement I might not have liked that one versus you give someone 30 clean and jerks for time, A, they're done in an hour class and pretty quick, and B, if they don't like that movement, well, you're kind of fucked on that day. Yeah, we, when we first meet with a franchise owner that's about to launch, <clears throat> even when we do our trainer on-ramp, we spend a great deal of time in our program design theory and lecture of why we do what we do. We have this... Um, slide called the perfect athlete versus the successful business <laughs> and um, pretty much it says uh, the perfect athlete program is very linear boring and effective it's the exact way I love to train sure. personally and then you have um, the successful business that's largely driven by trends and pop culture um, can be gimmicky and we say what we are trying to do is blend two models together and uh, you know per produce results while satisfying a cultural demand and and I don't hope I'm not I don't want this to come off as rude I have yet I think we're doing a great job of it I have not seen it done well when you think of quality training being provided on a big scalable level and we're not trying to be orange theory I mean I don't even know how they do it in all fairness but when you think of a brand that's big enough to have 10 plus locations, you don't see a quality training program out there. And I don't want that to come off as rude. It's what we're trying to do. And we haven't, we haven't mastered it yet, but sure. it is a work in progress. Yeah. With, with any, in any economic situation with quantity comes a decrease in quality to a degree. You start playing whack-a-mole and you've got kind of a, a teeter totter going there. So talk to me about that. So the franchise model obviously so there are a lot of gyms out there that are multi-location and they've had to figure out well i gotta put the crossfit level i gotta put the affiliate name in my mom's name for this location <laughs> and then i gotta go get my wife to put it in her name for the second location whatever the fuck it may be um to get around that whole thing and you've you know um there have been some successful models um, JP who owns Brick, they've got locations yeah. in New York. Like I, I, his model's great, great metropolitan style, boutique uh, shower scenario for the coming and going. Boston, Chicago, LA, all that stuff. Kalipa's obviously owned the West Coast with his rebranded NC Fit model. Mm. Um, China, all over the thing, you know, kind of thing. And then you, you know, again, I see what you guys are doing with the the franchise. Why go from an? Uh, I was down in Minneapolis where Alchemy is a, another strong brand. Impressive podcast. Yes, yeah. Mike is a great dude. Very yeah. smart guy. Um, 
where the franchise model for you, why did you decide to go franchise versus corporate owned? Whew. If I could fucking revisit that. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's not fair. Um, when we f- found our niche in Charlotte and kind of hit our stride in that first year, people started asking. They were like, would you ever consider doing this elsewhere? Um, and we never had really ideas outside of controlling Charlotte market. Um, and I'll even talk about how that's kind of flipped of how we looked at that. But um, we hired a consulting firm out of uh, California. And pretty much uh, it was a six-month process, an amazing learning experience. They walked us through building our FDD, building our franchise systems, and the overall model. And eventually... Uh, For anyone listening, what is an FDD? Franchise disclosure document. So it's what you present potential franchisees. Um, It's about 300 pages long and boring as fuck, Um, but it is what it is. It has to be done. Um, And as soon as we finished the process, we knew we were doing this for a reason. It was to open the, or to franchise the Charlotte's Virginia location, or the Charlottesville uh, Virginia location. And the the, uh, team doing it was from Charlotte. So it was a very easy uh, first process. And kind of from there, the rest is history. How many franchise locations do you have now? So we have six open and running. We're about to open Atlanta, which we're very excited about, uh, D.C. and Florida, uh, correct? We we just filed our paperwork to be able to sell there. Gotcha. Because of the demand there. Now, and that's what we're saying, too, is like you saw those two offices. Yeah. That's who runs the franchise operations. Yep. So, like, we don't have a private equity team behind us going after volume. So, you know, you could easily franchise all day long and implode, which I think we would do. Um, So, uh, we've been very picky. We probably had over the past four years maybe 200 inquiries, and we're at six locations because this is just the only way we know how to grow. Sure. Um, I am not against, and we've been looked at at times, um, by private equity that are smarter at doing that mass growth. So if we ever go that way, um, it will be with a strategic partnership. Sure. We don't. We don't have the skill set to for the mass growth. Um, we'd either have to build a team, which would be new to us on that level. So I think the smarter way would be to ally, align yourself with that um, type of person yeah. or, or company. And I think when people hear of, you know, they see like the soul cycles of the world, the Barry's boot camps. Um, you know, I know what, you know, the kind of behind the scenes of what Alchemy is doing as well is there, you know, there are models that if they can prove viable in multiple markets, not just your home market, there are firms like, I mean, Gold's Gym, Equinox, mm-hmm. uh, these are all VC-backed giant company. You know, they, they have that back and you sell some equity to there and then the model is volume. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting for me and, you know, I think a lot of, most, it, most gym owners are like, I just want to get this one fucking location paying my bills, right? Like there's like that whole headache and then there's a level of maturity in the business where if you've done it all right, you sit back and you're like, cool, what's next? And for some most people, that's either bigger building, second building, location, whatever it may be. And then above and beyond, you'll have individuals like yourself that are looking to go, you know, at multiple markets, if you will, you know, DC and Florida, two very different markets, mm-hmm. right? Charlotte and Atlanta, eh, density is different, but somewhat similar, sure. you know, um, Charlottesville, I've never been there in, uh, is that West Virginia or Virginia? Virginia. Virginia. Okay. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. So We've learned a lot about our consumer segment in the last two years specifically. So to use Charlotte as an example, the way we thought you would grow was you stamp one in Center City somewhere. Yeah. You know, one of our neighborhoods. Then you would do Valentine. And the suburbs. Lake Norman and this. And now we are polar opposite. So... The Orange Theories, F45s, Cycle, yep. Hot Yoga, everyone else that specializes in 40-plus weight loss, um, that's not us. Um, we tried, and we found that, and, and I, you know what? I would hate to be in that market, to be honest, because they all have to compete with one another. Um, 
but we found the more competitive of an environment you could go into, typically the South End kind of thing. Sure. Um, 25 to 45-year-old high performers, which is a new term I've been introduced to working with a team. And pretty much what it's saying is these are like highly motivated, self-motivated, dedicated individuals. And when they think about fitness, they prioritize it. So it's not this... I got to be careful with this. It's not this like hand holding process, community building. Like this is someone that if we didn't exist, they'd still be training their ass off somewhere. So now, and that's why you, there's no secret why Austin, Atlanta, (laughs) DC, possibly Miami is where we're going next. Because instead of doing the one location and then 15, 20 miles, now we're looking at go right in the middle of it and find three to five locations within five miles of it. So it's interesting because it shrinks your um, your consumer pool dramatically. Yeah. Like not in a rude way, but there is a lot more 40 plus out of shape people in this in North America than there are 25 yeah. to 45 year old. They also come with complications. They've got kids. What the fuck are you going to do with the kids when they yeah. want Like there is more complications to there. You know, we joke around people like, oh man, I really want Myers Park for anyone listening is a uh, very wealthy suburb here uh, in, in Charlotte. And all the people like, man, I want those Myers Park people. I'm like, no, you don't. I don't care if mom and dad are each pulling in a hundred. When you have three kids in private schools at fucking like country day, yeah. your disposable income is not as high as 27 year old Johnny who's making 89k at fucking Bank of America, and he's got rent and maybe a goddamn dog. I like, couldn't agree with you more. We <clears throat> we have a lot of people saying you want to target these people that are. 40 with disposable income and you know i have two young boys and i was like you know how much more money i had at 26 without them i'd like with less of a salary and this and that um and then the other thing too i think is worth saying is that even though we you would say 25 to 35 year olds right but the reason we're now saying like 35 35 to 45 is they're also some of your most dedicated clients and sure. it's not their first time training they've been high performers Correct. and are still doing it right so we've had to revisit a lot of things so charlottesville which which kind of like started this conversation is a little bit of an outlier because the um the owner that owns that she's she's a stud she controls charlottesville uh, one of her early business partners rode at UVA. Okay. They're near campus. I mean, when you they talk... They have a reputation. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's two ways to do it, right? If you're a hometown kid that stays in his hometown and you control pop culture, yeah. you can kill it. Outside of that, we like to go into highly competitive markets that have all the orange series F45s and high end CrossFits and just let the program speak for itself. Correct. Yeah. And and that's the one thing that all of people, uh, gym owners, where should I set up shop? I'm like, find the nearest orange theory, find the nearest orange theory or a flywheel or some other higher end price point scenario, be as physically close to them as possible. You're generally going to find them around higher end grocery stores, uh, high density multifamily units, and other boutique kind of, again, uh, walkability score kind of increasing scenarios in a city. And that's where you fucking want to be. It's more expensive, but it's probably where you want to be. Yeah. And what we say too, um, they'll take that, um, high retail traffic as mm-hmm. long as you're on the block. Sure. Like where, where, where we want people to be is, and I think one of the best tests for any market is, and it's the least scientific test on the planet is, Find your orange theory or find your Lululemon. Yep. Then find Starbucks yep. and go have a coffee in it and see who walks in the door for the next hour and ask yourself, is that your clientele? Yep. Um, and you can, if you think of the Starbucks in in Charlotte, go sit at East, East Boulevard, Boulevard yeah. versus sitting at one in Ballantyne. Yep. And you will largely see where the 25 to 35-year-old business professional is. It's not in Ballantyne. Yeah. So Easily. Yeah. Easily. So talk to me again. You're in, um, we're literally sitting here looking out into the traffic. So this is South Boulevard, and we're in the, the heart of South. And technically, you guys are literally on the cusp because Remount becomes the, the geographical boundary that Charlotte Center City Partners calls South End. Right? You guys are like in the fucking heart of it. Yep. Whereas probably 2010, 11, 12, 
it was wasn't like we're obviously in a very boomy. We're blessed to be in an awesome neighborhood. It's growing. Everything's good. What do you look at in vulnerabilities for markets like where we're at? For so we've got everyone. People want to be where it's popular. Mm-hmm. You can't be where it's popular when it's fucking popular because you probably can't afford it. You need to be where it's when it's going to be popular. Mm-hmm. Like our location down there. There's you know we joke around. I'm like there's no reason to come to Clanton Road for another two years. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be no reason for anyone to come down there unless you know we're the only destination on the street right now. When you guys pick this location in South End, why did you pick South End? We knew of a few of the apartment complexes coming, but not this. <laughs> so there was luck. Yeah. Um, there was also what you could afford. Yep. Um, that kind of side of things too. There was also thinking about where other gyms were and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's, it's also very interesting because when we all got into CrossFit, that is gone. Yeah. There's no getting the $5 a square foot, even in terrible places. Yeah. I now. mean, it was in post 08 <clears> after <throat> the crash. I mean, you could, they were fucking giving six months away in any warehouse industrial. Like, where Lance is at, Lance is until, <clears throat> in the backstory, the guy who owns that, like, until they fucking get booted because he sells. Yeah. I mean, like, he's probably in, Lance has got to have a sweetheart deal this of a, a lease. I mean, it was, that was the number I actually used at some point when he, he was $5 a square yeah. foot. I mean, I doubt it's that now, but maybe it is. But, even give you an example, this, this kind of tells a story. So we are in here um, at about 18 a foot. Wow. And the places going online 30. now are 35, yeah. 40. Yeah. I le- our, our place, we lease it under the concept of 25 to 29 a square foot. Yeah. And I mean, I literally could spit and hit the fucking street from here. Like it's... Um, well, there wow. is... So let me say this. There have been very good qualified franchisees mm-hmm. where we could make the numbers work. Sure. So as far as numbers go, we have found with the 20 person class and we are in some markets looking at 25 person classes, but for the 20 person class in a nine to five town, which still is Charlotte, yep. even though it, you know, has like its entrepreneurship and this and that at the end of the day, it's a nine to five town. Yeah. People work out in the morning, early morning before work. You have a little bit of a stay-at-home parent crowd at nine. You have that lunch business person, then 4, 35, 36, 37, yep. 30. Like, there's no changing that. So we start running into membership issues at about 400 members. Got it. You know, that's, or actually, even before that, you start getting clients mad that they're not getting into class, I'd say, around... 325, Did you use that verb mad right now to, to be? <laughs> no, to I be, didn't. <laughs> no, that, I did. <laughs> is that but part of like company culture using the verb mad? I love like it. We opened our Elizabeth location across town. Yeah. Specifically to drive members out of here. Yeah, to that bleed we, the location. Yeah, we, sure. we had to. So like that thing is to just control South End's volume. Yep. Um, it's insane. But which, what is interesting now is like we looked at... Um, a pretty strong deal in um, Boston. Okay. In Boston, from what we looked at, like where you want to be, they are charging New York rents. Correct. But the members, you can't charge New York memberships. Yeah. So they're, so instead of like, say, Barry's that can charge three ninety nine or four ninety nine in New York, you still are charging two ninety nine. Yeah. And it's not making sense at a hundred a foot. It's great. Um, Josh, one of the guys, he owns uh, Reebok CrossFit Back Bay. And it's the one I always drop in at whenever I go to Boston. I'll go there and I'll go to the brick location. Me and my wife go to Boston frequently. And uh, I was surprised how low membership was cost-wise to be in Back Bay. Back Bay is like one of the, it'd be like the south end of downtown Boston. It's a cool, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I was like, this, I mean, we charge 190 at our movement and they're charging two, I think it was 218 to 220-ish kind of thing. I was like, I just didn't understand that Delta based on the loca- the metropolitan location and what you've got to pay to have even 2,100 square feet in a two-floor, down-the-stairs, kind of like every metropolitan kind of scenario in these big-ass cities. Now, what is interesting, there is a bit of a <clears throat> risk and numbers tolerance. Sure. Because when Corbin Jennings is the, the, the brain behind the Arlington and going to yeah. be D.C., when he went in, and started telling us that he was looking at 40 to 50 a foot, we were like, are you fucking nuts? Like, we were like, you got to think about this. But if you back out of that fear and start putting some numbers down, his 
what is he charging? I think he's charging 248 for an unlimited when we're 178 here. Yeah. And if you start looking at that at three, 400 members, it is good. Sure. It is a big profit. So at the end of the day, it is. We start seeing, um, we try to get our break even points. So kind of work backwards at 125 members. Okay. And then we look at those next two to 250 as pure profit. Because the great thing about our model is outside of a little bit of payroll, you're not adding equipment sure. for your next two. Yeah, you guys run lean equipment-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Let me ask you this. So, and feel free to share any numbers, not disclose whatever. And how many lo- how many members in this location here in South End, your flagship location? Um, so we went to a use uh, both both locations. Got it. Um, like I said, we were right around that 400 member mark when we started. Um, and when I say 400 member, let me let me make sure I'm not like lying about this. We also think of our Lululemon relationships. Mm-hmm our class pass, we start doing some calculations where if an average class pass person is coming two days a week, they're like a 10 person a month member that we would factor in. So we might have 280 people on memberships, but we might service 400 members a month, if that makes sense. So 400 visits, 400 workouts kind of scenario. Yeah. 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 So I would say this location, if I was to break it down, probably serves 350 to 375 members and the two as a whole 500 yep. but there's tons of tons yeah yeah bleed over that makes sense and where is your so and you guys are again for anyone that doesn't understand what class pass is it's in most markets now most people understand what it is um the woman, I forget the uh, name of the Asian girl who came up with it. I read, a, I read an entire, I don't know, it was a TED Talk or what she did, or maybe it was for the hustle or something like that. Just brilliant mm-hmm. chick who came up with the concept of class pass, kills. What do you guys look at? You guys, are you guys, are you more subscription-based? Are you more like the spin studio model, which is pay-to-go, passes, packs, that kind of deal? Where's the majority for a metabolic facility? Membership. Yeah. And again, like, I know why our model... Um, like when we've been looked at by private equity firms at times, why it isn't as attractive as an Orange Theory. You know what I mean? Where they can, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Orange Series of the world are guerrilla marketing firms that chose fitness as their vessel, right? So they're unbelievable at getting people in the doors, but they also lose a huge percentage of them in three months. So they're putting in 300 whatever sure. it is, every, every month, but they're also losing a massive percentage. Like we are putting in 100 a month, converting 35 of them. Sure. And having them stay on at least a year. Nice. So most of our membership. Yeah. yeah. And when you say membership, we're referring to a subscription. Yeah. Recurring payment. And you guys run uh, like an LBO model. You guys do 10 days, $10 keep the top of the funnel big, let everyone come and expose. One of the things I've been really, I'm really big on, and when I was just down this last week, I spent almost the full 24 hours down in Minneapolis looking at all the different alchemies. You can't be a really hyper-local, popular brand, which you do want to be. You want people to see. Like, um, I'll be driving down South Boulevard, and I'll see White Jeep, right? Yep. And I'll see your logo, and I'll, and I'll see that. And you'll see, you know, the Orange Theory splat on the back of someone's car. And, you know, branding's a thing. And becoming a hyper-local concept where people have at least heard of you, especially in a town like Charlotte or D.C. or any of these areas where you're, you want to be a player, that means a lot of people have to have heard of you or tried you. Right. So heard of you being the, the latter, the two, the lead, the smallest hanging fruit. They heard of a friend who maybe went to metabolic versus tried. And if the barrier to entry is extremely high, you're never going to have that hyper localized success. Even if 70 percent of the city, 80, 95 percent of the city is never going to be a member. They've heard or at least experienced or encountered you type scenario or posted a picture on Cor- Instagram. Exactly. Of that you. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, having some kind of iconic. And the one thing I love, they're one of the logos. And does she have a name? 
the bot, the female. You're low, like her. Yeah, her, her. She no, she doesn't. No, I love it. There, it's a it's a girl ponytail back, got the boxing gloves on kind of scenario. It just very cool. And I've I came and tell you many times on Instagram, and I you know I follow like hashtag CLT Fitness or whatever. And there's always someone probably in the back of one of these guys just taking a pose with this chick, yeah. her, whoever that person is. She has a better story than our story. Um, <clears throat> so when we when me and Kirk were transitioning. And like, I should give Kirk a shout out, right? So I'm the <laughs> idiot that always has all th thousands of ideas and he's the one that cobs them all down until it's like <laughs> the right idea, right? Yeah. So we had a successful CrossFit gym but I was like, I think we need to sell and do this complete other thing. So he was like, are you serious? Like there's, there's no point in selling this. So I had this image of a female, like tough, like almost like street fighter japanimation thing in my yeah. head so i started like googling um female sketch female this just looking for images and i came across this image of a girl almost looked like um what's that movie and book a girl with a dragon tattoo yeah, yeah, yeah so like just this girl in street clothes same very similar to ours and it was called fighter so i opened it up and it led me to this girl's blog. I believe her name was Jennifer Fong and she was an 18 year old art student in um, California, in San Diego. And I emailed her, I'm like, I would love to do an adaptation of, I love your work and blah, blah, blah. And have you ever done some freelance stuff? And she's like, yeah, I'll, I'm just starting that. I'll send you a form and you could pay 50% before. And when we complete, you can pay the final 50%. So, um, I don't know what, like what she's going to charge. So the, the form came through for an eight, uh, $40 deposit and a, a $40 deposit. Oh, so she is, we paid $80 for our look. If you ever reach back out to her and just <laughs> been like, thank you. So like send her a shirt, like a metabolic shirt with the picture I, of her. I did for the first few years. Um, and I recently tried to like track her down and could not find um, any of her new stuff. So really? I hope she's still in the field because yeah. she got into designing like movie posters yeah. and really cool art stuff. But yeah, that's the story of her. That's that awesome. Does have a name. Yeah. That's we, awesome. We used to say that <laughs> we say we wanted an image of uh, like, like a girl that, uh, girls would like be empowered by and like want to be like, yeah, this is like to sleep with strong as the new skinny was like <laughs> yeah. becoming the mantra. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What, um, and going to that with the, you know, where I was going with this whole thing on the, on the LBO for you guys, you know, when I was down there with Mike and Alchemy, each location, and they have five in Minneapolis, each location is, uh, their quota is 50 new workout, 50 new people per week. Yeah, I was blown it, away It's that. fucking insane. Yeah. Like, it just, the volume and the amount of different funnels you have to, whether it be a class pass, oh, and then the Lululemon shop demo, and then we, they work out inside of an anthropology, and you've you got to be everywhere if you want to be that brand. For you guys, do you guys plan on becoming bigger in Charlotte or is it now the franchise, finding the right franchisee <clears throat> and then finding the market that's for them? And obviously each, franchi fr each franchisee is probably coming to you with already the market in mind of where they want to set up or are you directing them anywhere? Um, no, so touching on Charlotte first. So we corporately own um, our Burlington location. Mm -hmm. My younger sister, who's you know the perfect person you want to run something for you manages that for us. We wanted to test the Canadian market, which is, a, which is a, another host of problems. Um, we used to own Greenville, <clears throat> South Carolina, and we recently just flipped it into a franchise with, with someone that was ingrained in the culture. Sure. There. So we want to continually do very well in Charlotte. Sure. But our focus now is, like you said, growing the franchise. Yeah. What's the perfect besides having already like be, being like the high school or the the whatever the most popular person in town, right? They already have that their that hand in pop culture and what they say go like they just know the area, they know the right people. What's the number one trait you look for for a franchisee? <clears throat> um we have this back and forth all the time because the thing is you've taken our class, so we yeah. still highly trained people sure. and I'm not here to cut down any other products but that quality of having to be a good trainer can stunt your growth and we talk about you know we're not a we're not a program that can go hire the best bartender in the city and throw him on the bike sure and like he makes a great playlist and is charismatic as fuck and th the rest is history yeah. we don't get to do that yep. like they have to train people so that's a huge thing that stunts 
growth, in my opinion, um, right now. As far as um, no matter how good you are technically, you can still technique someone right out the door. Sure. So that it factor, that charisma, whoever's going to be the face in your community is so huge. Um, and I know that's a generic statement. It's huge for yeah. every business, but it is what it is. I agree. You can't, you cannot avoid that. We did an, uh, an in-window demo for our new product, Flex, which is pretty much what I stole from Mike at Alchemy. And we went to Lulu and we did this in-window demo. And I, I was just hanging out bullshitting with all the Lululemon employees. We were there for like three hours doing this, this demo inside their store. And I was absolutely blown away by every person they were just all the best people talk. Like every person I went up to, it was almost as if they had all gotten the back. Like be on your best game when you're like, everybody was so personable. They were so like, I'm blown away. Like Lululemon's brand called culture, company culture is one of these things that I, I do everything in my power to study and look at. Cause I'm just so blown away by what they've created. Everything from their ambassador program, mm -hmm. all the way to the amount of retail science knowledge that the average lackey retail store associate, probably part-time, Literally is able to sit there and tell me exactly why certain zones inside the store are hit with the with certain kind of apparel sure. and where what I'm going to think and do before I even walk in the fucking store. They know where I'm going to walk to. And I was just absolutely blown away by that. When you guys are looking at hiring, so now you've found a reason, you know, the kind of person you get for your franchisees, <clears throat> what in your opinion makes a really good coach? Is it someone maybe had their foot in the CrossFit world and sees the different, like understands maybe some of the flaws or some things they did not like about that or... The, the motivational spin instructor who could be a bartender at night is super popular and has an awesome playlist and they're able to get through that world, but they're looking for something more. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think the, I'm, I'm, I hate to say this, I, I think the little plateau in CrossFit is going to be very good for us right yeah. now because there are enough people questioning what they may want to do next. Sure. Having a lifting background is huge. And this is something that I just, either it's because it's my background or that's who I gravitate towards, someone with a team sports background. And I don't know what it is. It, and I'm not talking like a professional level athlete. I'm not saying that, which, but someone with a team sports background of being able to follow a universal goal is a huge thing for us. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I mean, that's essentially what, I mean, again, the one thing people like you, I hate the word, the community as it gets thrown around. You're right. And, and I tell this to my members too, CrossFit gyms, you can judge a, a gym's community based on how long people come early and how long they stay after. I will also tell you, you can also judge the amount of fucking customer service headaches and drama you have by how long people stay after. You know, there's a certain level for even the CrossFit affiliate owner where they really mature up in the business and they realize, I'm not going to lie, Sally, who spends two hours here after her workout, is probably going to cause me more fucking headaches long term. I kind of want Jim and Timmy and Sally and, you know, Suzanne, who come and get their workout, high five people, pleasant as fuck, pay their bills on time and get the fuck <laughs> in and get the hell out. Well, that was one of the um, things that I loved most about the transition. When yeah. you start hitting these people, like, they're here to get their workout in, and then whether it's family the happy hour, yeah. the business event, like they can't get out of here quick enough. Sure. Nothing drove me more nuts <laughs> when, you know, you'd be at like, you'd be trying to ho do something community-based, like ho like a Super Bowl. Yeah. And you'd have like, like, who, who do you keep talking about, Sally? Yeah, yeah. Sa Sally's my, my generic client I always refer to. So, so Sally won't have some fucking chips and salsa because yeah. she's on paleo. Yeah. She's a 40-year-old stay-at-home mom at a football brand. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, have a chip. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Watch the game. Yeah. Like, that, like, diehard side of it really drove me nuts yeah. where um, having just everyday naturally driven people that it's interesting you use that word community. It's we have a community um, that is natural, I think, because of the type of person that's in here and maybe the type of result we're producing. But where a lot of companies, I find they lead with community and then worry about the product second. Sure. We start with a product and typically our community has been the byproduct of what we're doing on the floor. 
and it's just a different feel. I agree. I think community, it's so subjective. You, I've got people like, oh, I love the community at your gym. My other gym, the community was shit. I'm like, the guy's probably doing the same shit as everybody else. <laughs> it's just a subjective thing. You just didn't get along with that click. It's so funny. Ever since we, you know, we had South End Grind open up in there, I look at the community, you know, of some of the gyms that I visit, and where again, it is very entrenched. Very, there's a lot of drama that can be. Now, a lot of good comes from it too. But I would definitely say on a long enough timeline, the bad outweighs the good. And I sit in that coffee shop and I look at everybody. And this one kid's pen wasn't working. Someone else gave him one and they won't talk again for the rest of the fucking time they're in that coffee shop mm-hmm. you know two people were going up and there was one splenda left oh you have it i just watched that i'm like these people are all in the space they have a common goal they could be productive just sip some coffee get some shit done mm-hmm. and they're all super friendly with each other they recognize that oh you're like me not and again you put people the one thing i i love about your model you know when we started doing this in 2014 was getting rid of the scoreboard you know, the, the CrossFit model, I'm so huge and screaming that in a gym owner's face. Get rid of the fucking scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Let people's perception of success be their, by their own definitions. It, it would take out a lot of the drama. But again, I, I do. I think you look around and you can find community in spaces. Firemen and Marines have a different level of community than those people in that coffee shop I just mentioned. But it's still, in my opinion, community all the same. There's a common denominator to one degree or the other that allows for he's like me. Let me help him or her out to some degree. And you know the one thing that <clears throat> was we didn't realize it would be such a big thing. So removing the scoreboard. Yeah. So with everything being time-based. Yes. Um, Class never ends late. Well, that's the best. Yes, yes one it of, is. One of the best things we found, too, is like we found that every single human being can relate to the element of time. Yep. So if you're to say, um, this is how I'd like you to move, this is what to, to look out for, and this is what I'm going to keep you honest with, I want you to pick up a weight that makes sense for you and move well for 60 seconds. You know, that's very different than saying, do 60 of these. Sure. Like, there are some people that shouldn't do 60 of anything. anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, putting everybody on that same level playing field um, was a very easy way to scale it from client to client as well. Yeah. Now, I will say this is we would still need to find our um, measurable because people, there's a huge, especially high performers, sure. crave this. So, we started this thing about... Uh, We've done it three times now. We do field it twice day. a year. Field yeah, day. Yeah, I've been watching that. And it's pretty cool is what we do is like, remember the tests you did in high school. Mm-hmm. So like jump and reach. Yep. Um, we do, uh, what do we do? We do tailpipe squats, so like a big front squat. Um, we do press, ring push-ups or strict push-ups. You choose. We do a primal medley, uh, so bear crawl, lateral shuffles, stuff like that, chimp shuffles we call them. Um, and then we finish with like a 1K row. And we do a 45-second uh, bike erg which yeah, for yeah. calories, which is lethal. <laughs> but which is interesting is it's done two things for us. It gives the person that still has that in them something to measure. Sure. And then one of the things that we stumbled on, too, is the person who's never really pushed 100% now has a number. So on our anaerobic one-to-one work-to-rest ratio days, they now know their 100, yeah. which is interesting. Because if you've never really pushed, you don't know what that hurts like, I guess. What percentage of, a, of the membership participates in field day cares enough to know out of the entire whole? Not a huge group, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, like we, like at the end of the day, even though we would say this same term, high performers, they're still everyday people. Sure. Like, I mean, they, they're liter- literally just... Um, Fitness is a priority. Yeah. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing. That's the best they've way to say it. They've got a house, yeah. they've got to work, and then the next <clears throat> thing in the fucking day is the fitness. Yeah, exactly. So I think we put 80 people out of the, you know, four or 500 yeah. through at this, but it really speaks to that 20% sure like it it means a hell of a lot to them which and it doesn't harm the other group that doesn't care enough that is doing something else on a Saturday kind of scenario exactly Um, I drove the the field that I drove by and you guys had the rowers out here and you were doing your thing and I was like fuck I love it you know um Every time I drive back here, I'm like, I literally just open those doors every day. And I mean, just the, the stop and go traffic, because you're stuck on this fucking street next door staring for for at least two, two minutes at least. Yeah, I wish we could claim that we planned all this. We we did luck yeah. out big time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great spot. Um, 
yeah, a couple, a few more things I wanted to go. At. I want to, and I, I, I want to, I want to get a little on a hand-to-hand combat, combat in here. And, and don't, if you listen to my stuff, I don't hold anything back. What is, in your opinion, from you know, you encounter gym owners, you've seen the CrossFit space, you've created your own, you've forged your own path. What do you think is one of the biggest things holding back a gym <clears throat> owner, someone who's already currently in the game, who's in it? And again, I'm going to use a, a CrossFit affiliate or another micro gym owner that just hasn't found traction, that just haven't, hasn't found their route, right? Their, their concept isn't catching mm-hmm. like somebody else's. I think risk tolerance early enough is huge. Um, like there's a few concepts that I have in my head that I know someone's going to beat me to it. And it's just not having like the bandwidth. Sure. I mean, a few, one of the ones that we've, Kirk and I have kicked ourselves since was we thought about what if you were to stick these Versa climbers into a spinning concept? Oh yeah, and all Rise of a sudden, Nation is Rise killing it. Yeah. Killing it. Right. I'm actually it's going going up to the Cleveland location. Oh really? In the yeah, absolutely. So like I was like, um, we just didn't have the bandwidth to yeah. do it. Um, but I think like risk tolerance and then like. You, you mean someone that's already in it. Yeah. So not someone who's, someone who's, who's listening purchasing to this. shitty real estate early, like not that Correct. Kind of stuff. Yeah. I know okay. someone who's in it and they're just like, fuck, I'm a CrossFit. I'm a whatever boot camp. I'm a this. And it's not catching. Mm-hmm. But there's another example of me somewhere in this country or this that it's caught for them. Well, here's a, here's a good example. Like we, went, we go back to that people factor. Sure. Okay. So we've had this conversation recently about non-competes. And do we want our coaches... So we will allow people to train at CrossFit gyms, yep. but before we'd be like, you're not going to train at a uh, Orange Theory gym, sure, um, because we view them. We don't see a lot of uh, competitive CrossFitters are CrossFitters. It sure. is what it is. Um, Orange Theory, we don't typically lose a lot of people to Orange you Theory, but gain. we gain a yeah. lot of people from That's Orange Theory. That's a stepping theory. stone fitness solution. But we started talking about the value of that it person. Um, so orange theories, we would pay our, you know, our, our, they're outpaying our GMs by $15,000 salary. Mm -hmm. So if we're saying like, if you have that one person that has to be your face, but he's a 25 year old kid that has school bills and needs to work at, Shred 415, Orange Theory, yeah. Blast 900, you name it. The, you know, that yeah. product, the, the, uh, the treadmill TRX BOSU yeah. hybrid, that, you know, that model. Are you worse worrying about that or having this stud on your floor 15 classes a week? Sure. So that's like a new conversation that... Um, is it worth investing the extra 15000 in this individual to have him there because he's going to be your X factor type scenario? And you know what I recently started using this analogy is like, so think of like a $40,000 um, salary or fifty. Okay. I think all of us look at wholly 10000 more as opposed to 800 more a month. Yeah. And if you can support... $800 a month, which is arguably five memberships. Mm-hmm. Will that person on the floor bring in five extra people sure. that become memberships? Well, then, yes, you better pay yeah. that extra 800 a month. So it's, I think it's paying for quality training. Yeah. Could be a, could be a thing. I agree. I, and one thing I always tell people, you have a, of gym owners, like you own a, you own a gym. You don't own a business. A business creates careers and not yours, right? Like when I go to, and I talk to people about valuating a business, you can't work 40 hours a week in the business and sell it. That, do, that doesn't like in the business. Like if you're back in the office and nobody knows you, the last 20 new members don't know you fucking exist. Yeah. That's okay. But if you're the head coach and you're coaching 40 hours a week, that is a harder sellable asset because you, you are the business as yep. far as that goes. It's worth your freedom to, ex- to do whatever else you want to do with your time to spend 30, 40, 50, $60,000 on a gig. But you can't tell me you own a business if you haven't created a career for somebody other than yourself. That's, that's one of those requirements I always think of when it, when it comes time to make a business. Who needs this besides me? And if nobody needs it, like they can get another part-time coaching gig at fucking anywhere else, I don't really think you've created anything too special. You know what's another thing too is, how old are you, Stuart? 32. So I'm 37, right? So Kirk and I, I think Kirk's 41. Um, but if we are now... 25 to 45 year old business professionals and that's we've been the face for a long time yeah 
the last two years behind closed doors are like, we're not going to be the face yeah. very long. Like we need to think who is that 30 year old. Sure. And like our GM, um, Finley, who you met. Yeah. She is a stud. She's awesome. You she coached I mean? my class. Loved it. And she is that perfect age, like 30, hungry, like ready to make a name for herself sure. in this world. Like, and now, you know, we can, so having that face so you can step behind and run the business yep. is also very important. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing you guys done an amazing job, and I obviously love a uh, great relationship with Aaron and Sweatnet and that whole thing. Uh, did you guys, were you working with like Aaron back? Aaron, for you guys know, Aaron's a local Instagram influencer, very successful at what she's done. And I'm really, every city, every major city has individuals like this who are well known fitness wise. How did your relationship with an Instagram influencer, like, were you guys, was it the chicken before the egg? Like, you guys were working with her. She was a client before she ever <laughs> became CLT Sweat and, you know, or whatever her handle is. And so she, uh, was introduced to Matabolic in Arlington. Okay. Um, she did some work between the two cities and then moved back here full time. So to give Aaron the high five, we weren't 100% sure on her capability. Sure. Um, she came to us and was like, I want to do this. Yeah. And we, hey, don't get me wrong, like we looked at her Instagram followers were like, you know, you'd, you'd be crazy not to do this, but we're also very particular on like the type of trainer on the floor, but you never know, like we run a pretty extensive on-ramp. So like our trainers go through a weekend boot camp, and then they go into like a four to six week, like on-ramp yep. to get on the floor. And that's like a sink or swim thing. And she killed it. So like, I wish I could say, hey, we need to go get this yeah, yeah. local stud. But she was like, no, this is what I want to do. And we were lucky enough to kind of like maybe benefit off yeah. of what she was already doing. And that's my favorite thing. The best brands in the world don't have to go hunting most of the time. Talent generally gravitates towards the better brands. People want to work for them. I wish I was doing it more. <laughs> <laughs> but then, though, that's awesome. Aaron and the entire crew, uh, when they came in with the sweat net idea, and they'd like tell me about, it, I'm like, this is just you guys are just awesome. I'm loving everything they're yeah, doing. They're they're, they're they're doing great. So. Um, Awesome. So one last thing I do at the end of all these, I do uh, some advice for the cheap fucks. Anyone out there that's running a business that will, um, that never look for advice beyond uh, a podcast or anything like that. Well, if you were to leave any parting wisdom, I know we've done this a lot throughout this entire thing. What would be one last word of parting wisdom you'd give to someone looking to, for the growing their business, a headache that you've overcome that for someone else to avoid? What is uh, some advice for the cheap fucks out there that are, that are looking for someone to give them some free help? It, uh, it's borrowing more early. You know, it's spending early on. Like, we grew this, and we've been mildly successful, but we even made mistakes not having the right kind of money earlier, being scared to spend the money earlier. So whether it's, like, we make franchisees now open their doors with the equipment they will close them with. Like, you don't grow into your membership. Got it. You start with the way you're going to finish. So year one looks like year three. So, and I think like that general idea, whether it is to have the, the, the right amount of supplements to be able to sell in your lobby, like a full fridge of waters, the right paint on your walls, the yeah. right looking bathroom. Starting Do someone with right a full away. salary on day one versus yes. building them up from a part-time intern position. 100%. Yep. So it's just spending more early, but I also remember being that person. Yeah. And it does, it, I, no one would have, no one would have convinced me sure. to spend early, but if you could give advice, it would be to borrow more or leverage more or whatever it is, spend more early. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. For well, sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time today, brother. For sure. Thank you, dude. Awesome. Absolutely.